So reading this morning is from uh, Genesis chapter 50. We're reading um, verses 15 through 21. Listen to God's word. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done in the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, church. I'll be looking at Genesis chapter 50, the passage that was just read here in a moment. There was this young soldier and his commanding officer who got on a train together. The only available seats were across from an attractive young woman who was traveling with her grandmother. And as they all engaged in pleasant conversation, the soldier and the young woman kept eyeing one another. The attraction was obviously mutual. Suddenly the train went into a tunnel and the car became pitch black. Immediately two sounds were heard. The smack of a kiss and the whack of a slap across the face. The grandmother thought, I can't believe he kissed my granddaughter, but I'm glad she gave him the slap he deserved. The commanding officer thought, I don't blame the boy for kissing the girl, but why did she have to slap me? The young girl thought, I'm glad he kissed me, but I wish my grandmother hadn't slapped him for doing it. As the train broke into the sunlight, the soldier sat in his seat, smiling inside. He thought, wow, I can't believe I got to kiss the beautiful young girl, slap my commanding officer, and get away with both. Deception. Deception. Good when you can get away with it. Or is it? Back two months ago, we were introduced to a family trait in Genesis 37 of deception. The dad, Jacob, whose name means he grasped the heel, figuratively means he deceives and he lived up to that name by deceiving his way into his father's blessing. And what goes around often comes around. Jacob is then deceived by his own ten sons about his favored son's whereabouts. And out of their hatred for Joseph, they sold Joseph off as a, as a piece of property really yet deceived their father to believing he was devoured by some wild animal and died. They had to live with that deception, that lie, for decades. 
And the result really was much worse than a slap in the face as this lie caused tremendous sorrow for Jacob, the dad, and unbearable consequences for Joseph for several years. And as we conclude our series this morning on the life of Joseph, we must keep in mind, however, that all that happened in this family was part of the master's design. And while people are held responsible for their actions... While people are held responsible for their actions, God has been weaving together all the threads for the pattern he has planned. It's been an amazing story. Joseph's brothers hated him. The Midianites sold him. A married woman hit on him. Potiphar jailed him. His cellmates forgot him, but God promoted him. And we see in this, this true story in the life of Joseph how one man in all the twists and turns of life held to his faith in God. Joseph's anchor that kept him steady was his belief in the providence of God. And that's really what jumps off the page for us today as we turn our attention to Genesis chapter 50 and closing out our time together on the life of Joseph. Now let me give you the bottom line for today as I often do. The bottom line for today from these verses is only by embracing the truth that God is bigger than our hurt can we move on past it. Only by embracing the truth that God is bigger than our hurt can we move on past it. And you should see that fleshed out in our verses this morning. Now what is also extremely helpful uh, in, our, in, our, in looking at this passage this morning is to, is to notice carefully here the stark contrast between how Joseph deals with his past and how his brothers carry it around. Alright, look at me at Genesis chapter 50. Our primary focus will be on the seven verses that Mark just read, verses 15 through 21. Now the setting of these verses is after the funeral. Whose funeral? The dad, Jacob. Father had died. They buried him in Canaan. The funeral's over. They're back in Egypt. Now what? We see this morning the nagging question and the notable answer. The nagging question, then the notable answer. First, the nagging question. Now, for context's sake, as we look at this, go back with me uh, to verse 14, just for a moment, of chapter 50. Chapter 50, and I hope you're there in your Bibles, verse 14 says, After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. As you can imagine, I've done many funerals over the last 34 years in ministry. And what I often discover is that while most families, most families can mask the family dysfunctions functions during the days leading up to the funeral, it isn't long after the funeral that the cracks begin to show. The crisis does not create uh, the issues, it reveals them. You see, as, as life returns without the loved one, do then relational tensions and, and old wounds and repressed grievances come to the surface? You see, the real test for any family is after the funeral, not during it. And that brings us to verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if 
What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Now, folks, this is their guilt speaking. I mean, it's reasonable to think that this question would cross their minds, but this is not just a passing thought. It appears that this has been, a, this has been nagging at them. They've talked with each other about it. And the nagging question begins with those terrifying, pesky, troublesome two words. You notice there in verse 14, that's 15, what if? What if? Have any what ifs in your life? What if my spouse finds out? What if the church family sees me for who I really am? What if the person can see right through me right now? What if my brother or sister in Christ is holding this matter over my head? What if he, she hasn't really forgiven me? That's what's on the brother's minds, verse 15. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us? In some translations, it says, what if Joseph hates us? What if he holds a grudge against us, pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Now, in one way, uh, that is the inevitable question. You know the story. Joseph was part of what we could call today a dysfunctional family. It was not home sweet home for Joseph. His sister was raped. His dad was known as a deceiver. His ten brothers couldn't stand him. His birth mom died, and he wasn't even able to attend her funeral. Why not? Because prior to her passing, Joseph's brothers had such hatred and jealousy for Joseph, they threw him into a pit, remember? They wished he was dead. They wound up selling Joseph off to a caravan wandering through the desert, figuring he'll go off to Egyptian slavery where they'd never have to deal with this dreamer again. Now, we could rightly call Joseph a victim. I mean, with a past like this, who could blame him if he gave in to the advances of his boss's wife? When he's falsely accused and he lands in jail, I mean, who could blame him if he became bitter and he, and he gave up and he, and he chose to respond out of his hurts? And then 20 years later, when he meets up with his brothers again, who could have blamed Joseph for using his position of power right there and now with dad finally gone? And that's exactly what the brothers assumed. You see, when guilt speaks, assumptions are then made. When guilt speaks, assumptions are made. And we can assume the words... And then, and then have that drive our decisions and even our irrational behavior. Let me ask you, what assumptions, what assumptions have you been making about others in this church family? What assumptions have you been making about others in, 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 around, in your family, in your home, or, or in the workplace, or friendships that just kind of seem to feed your fears? The brothers assume that since dad is gone, there's no telling what Joseph might do to them. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We saw a couple of weeks ago, back in chapter 45, when Joseph finally revealed himself to them, remember? And, and, and that, he, that he kind of, he was saying, not kind of, he was saying, I've worked past the harm that you did to me because uh, I'm able to see the hand of God in it. 
I mean, it should have been evident to all his brothers that all was forgiven, and yet they're paranoid here, and they're suspicious. Jake Shakespeare put it this way. He said, suspicion always haunts the guilty mind. And here they are, 17 years from Genesis chapter 45, when Joseph revealed himself and said, oh, take it. we're fine here, guys. I mean, he, he wept with them, he, he kissed them, he hugged them, remember? All's fine here. 17 years later, and they're, they're assuming the worst. Joseph, he's just pretending to have forgiven them. Joseph, he just kept himself in check, just waiting for the opportune time to pay them back for what they did. And here's the opportune time. Dad, Dad's gone. We're going to stick it to you. Now you have to wonder if their fear-based assumption revealed something more about themselves. I mean, I think that's the case. That If the roles were reversed, they know what they would do. I mean, isn't, isn't, let's be honest here, isn't that the reason at times behind our assuming the worst? We know ourselves all too well what we would do if placed in the same situation. They assume Joseph hates them. It's not true. Their fear was baseless. This is their guilt talking. Know the feeling? Probably heard the story, perhaps I've shared it, of two kids who went to visit grandma and grandpa on the farm for the summer. And grandpa gave his grandson a slingshot and said to his grandson, look, you can go and practice with that slingshot out in the woods, you know, uh, trees and, and cans and rocks. Just don't aim at anything living. You know, people, birds and things like that. He said, okay, grandpa, and off he goes with his new slingshot. And, and, and he can't hit a thing with a thing. He aims the tree, he misses, he fires it, two empty cans near the barn, he doesn't come close. As he's coming back to the farmhouse, a little dejected over the whole thing, he sees grandma's pet duck. And he says, well, I haven't hit anything all day. I might as well. He pulls the slingshot back, and wouldn't you know it, the stone hits the duck on the head and he kills the duck I mean he's, he's gone he picks the duck up he, he puts it in the wood pile and he tries to bury it he, he, he's trying to hide the evidence well, as he heads back to the house he sees on the porch his sister Susie who saw everything she saw it all and they're sitting at dinner that night and, and grandma says come on Susie help me with the dishes and Susie says, oh no, I just talked to Johnny. He said he would love to do the dishes. <laughs> right, Johnny? And she whispers in his ear, remember the duck. Remember the duck. So Johnny does the dishes. Day after day, she's telling him the same thing. Remember the duck. Remember the duck. And so he does all her chores. Anything she wants, he does. And finally, he can't stand it anymore. And so he goes to his grandmother, sobbing and asking for her forgiveness for killing her pet duck. And grandma says, yeah, I know. I saw the whole thing. I was standing right at the window when it all happened. I already forgave you, but I was wondering how long you were going to let your sister make a slave of you. <laughs> See, when guilt speaks, listen, it's enslaving. Remember the duck. Remember the duck. And wherever you go, 
<laughs> you carry that guilty conscience with you. Psalm 38, verse 4, put it this way. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Yes, it is. Because then you view everything through that guilt. What you hear, what you see, is filtered through that guilt. What an absolutely terrible way to go through life. It's a burden too heavy to bear. And the brothers here are projecting their guilt onto Joseph. They once tried to get rid of him, so he will now get rid of them. And this is 40, 40 years later. Reminds me of Proverbs 28, verse 1, when it says, The wicked flee, though no one pursues them. Some are running as if being chased when it's only their guilty conscience that nags at them. Assumptions. Assumptions. Assumptions that lead to the concoction here. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. So they sent word. They don't even go to Joseph. They just sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. Wink, wink. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. Now listen. This is a fabrication at best. In this moment of fear, they make this thing up to save their hide. I mean, Jacob might have said these words. I mean, he might have, but I doubt it. Because back in, in chapter 49, one chapter back, you can check it out later. It's a good chapter to kind of read through for yourself. But in that chapter 49, the scene is of all the 12 boys gathered around the deathbed of Jacob. And we see in chapter 49 that Jacob, he speaks candidly to each of his sons. He calls out their past sins. He, he, he speaks of their future. You'd think that would have been the time to say these words to Joseph when they're all gathered around. We don't see it. This is a concoction. These boys have changed, but not completely. Their old habits die hard. They're back to their old ways. Conniving, lying, and deceiving. But unlike the young soldier on the train, they're not smiling. They are in torment. And that's why I believe Joseph weeps here. Joseph sure cries a lot. Notice that? He sure cries a lot. Some men would be quite uncomfortable with Joseph. Now, why the tears here? Well, I believe the tears are communicating sadness that the brothers are suspicious of his motives, that they never accepted his forgiveness, and it just crushes him. It breaks his heart. They had 17 years to work this thing out, yet they send a message. They don't even go talk to him in person. They send a message that don't kill us. Now, be honest here. Might you have said, if you're Joseph, you know, forget it. <laughs> I have tried to be gracious. You just don't get it. So, yeah, I'm done with you. Yeah, I, you, you, you wait to see what I'm going to do to you now. I've tried to do the right thing. You thought, take the high road. I'm not anymore. I'm giving it to you. Because you guys aren't even accepting it. We might have said that. I mean, it's infuriating, isn't it, when someone doesn't accept your forgiveness? Joseph isn't mad, though, here. He's sad. It's heartbreaking. 
to watch people not accept the forgiveness that they have been given. And some, I'd say in this room, find it hard to believe that they're forgiven by God. And you may be, you may be living like that. You really can't believe that God has forgiven you. And you think that at some point, God is going to zap you for what you did five years ago or ten years ago or forty years ago. And what's happening in my life, I know, oh, I know it is because of that thing I did way back when I was 12. What a way to live in self-condemnation. Read Romans 8.1. Meditate on that this week. These brothers, they're stuck in self-punishment. The question nags at them. And their assumption leads to concoction, then it leads to action. Look at verse 18. It tells us they threw themselves at Joseph's feet and they said, we're your slaves. We're your slaves. Do whatever you need to do to us. They fall at Joseph's feet. They say, we're your slaves. Joseph's faced with a decision right here. Put yourself in his shoes. Will he use his position of influence to hurt them just a bit? You know, they're on the ground in front of you. You might as well just kick them a little bit. Maybe your foot just slides over and kicks them in the head. Just a little. Listen, these guys ruined many years of his life. He spent his 20s in jail accused of something he didn't do. They fall at his feet. Joseph must decide right then what to do. What would you have done here? What would you do if given the chance to rub someone's nose in the mess they have made? What have you done when someone's load of guilt overwhelms them? They fall at your feet. All right, we go from nagging question to the notable no-nonsense answer here. Joseph's answer is remarkable. We see the tears he cried, but also the truth he conveyed. Look at the notable answer of verse 19. Let's read this slowly because we're very familiar with these words. Follow along. Verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Yes, I want to be in the place of God sometimes. Not Joseph. He didn't want to play God in their lives. He could have piled on the guilt right here. Church, watch your heart when you have the opportunity to lay some guilt on someone. Watch your heart when you have the opportunity to lay some guilt on someone. Joseph was going to have none of this. I mean, what was it that gave this guy strength to endure hardship? Handle false accusations, face mistreatment. What was it? His theology. What he believed about God. Look at verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me. Now, I want to stop there just for a moment. You intended... Sometimes in the Christian community, there's a lot of pretending that takes place over offenses and wrongs. And we say things like, it was no big deal. It's fine that you treated me that way. It's, oh, it's okay, really, I'm fine. No, don't even mention it. 
really doesn't deny the evil done. You intended to harm me. They did. Their intent was to get this dreamer out of their hair. See, in dealing with our past and wrongs done to us, don't minimize or trivialize the offense. You know, the, the, the superficial smiles and, and the false claims and the platitudes and the cliches. I don't know about you. I'm kind of tired of it. And it doesn't cut it. We don't have to pretend, oh, everything. It's, it's, it's fine. Fine, really. Reminded of an airplane pilot. He had a hard time getting his local aircraft mechanic to fix what was wrong with the plane. And every time he brought it in, he said, no, everything's fine. Just go. One day, the pilot brought his plane to this mechanic who did the repairs. And the pilot wrote this note to the mechanic. Unfamiliar noise in engine. Unfamiliar noise in engine. Next day, the pilot was somewhat surprised to see the plane was already back in service. Curious as to what the problem mechanic had found, the pilot checked the logbook. And the entry said, ran engine continuously for four hours. Noise now familiar. <laughs> That's it. See, denial of the problem is going to cause disastrous results, right? No, no, it's, it, it, you're okay. Just, just go. How's that help? How's that help? The key to freeing up the bound up heart that has been hurt is not the denial of the wrong. What is it? All right, rest of 20. You intended to harm me, but God. There it is again. But God. Intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You meant, but God. It's the only answer to our doubts, to our fears, to our suspicions, to our cynicism, to our handling of past hurt, no matter what the intent of the other person may have been. You meant, but God. Do you hear any self-pity in these words? Do, do, do you hear poor, poor me in what Joseph says here? Do you hear vengeance? Is there ego in this? No. Why is he able to say something like this? Get this, because Joseph believed in a God who was bigger than his hurt. Do I? Joseph was free from carrying around the chain of bitterness and pain and all the hurt because he had the right thinking about the God he served. And because of that, he could forgive. Do you see what God did with their intended harm? He used it for good. What was the good? It accomplished God's purposes in the saving of many lives. Because the famine hit, they all would have been wiped out. And the bigger picture, that I don't really have time to get into, but in the bigger picture, this is the fulfilling of what God promised Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, that through him would come a great nation. So they couldn't be wiped out. Wow, he did all that? But, but do you see what this is saying, church? Do you see what this says about God in relationship to your pain? God will not waste it. God will use what you have had to go through 
Maybe not for the saving of lives. This is very specific to Joseph. But certainly to help someone else go through a similar situation. Whatever it is, God will use it if we can believe that. It's in your pain and your brokenness that you're able to speak about the goodness of God. It's in your heartache, no sleepless nights, your high blood pressure perhaps, your, your, your times of just being fit to be tied that you're going to then able to be speaking to other people's lives. See, life really is a tapestry that God's weaving together. And from the bottom of the loom, all we see are knots and confusion and isolated events. It only makes sense from the top. Only there do we see the glorious portrait of what God is doing. So I hope as we've come through this, this study and the life of Joseph that your heart has been encouraged. That no matter how bad you had it growing up, that no matter how you were misunderstood and mistreated, mishandled, misjudged, you can live well now. Joseph's an illustration of that. This account of Joseph gives us insight into dealing with our past. James Dobson, he draws a caricature that symbolizes how so many people go through life. He pictures a, a weary traveler who over his shoulder is carrying a mile-long chain. And attached to the other end of the chain are tons of scrap iron, old tires, and, and garbage of all types. Each piece of junk is inscribed with the details of some humiliation and some failure, some embarrassment, a rejection, something they're carrying around from the past. And this weary traveler could let go of the chain and free himself from the heavy load which immobilizes and exhausts him, but he's somehow convinced that it must be dragged throughout life. He's paralyzed by its weight. But nothing is really forcing him to hold on to the weight of this chain. Now painful paths come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. It might have been a rejection from your parents. It might be a divorce that you're now going through or had to go through. It might be a fallout from a friend. It might be some poor decision. Listen, all very real. It's real stuff. Don't deny it. But nothing is forcing you to remain chained to your past. What can you do about it? Again, I don't want us to miss the stark contrast here. How Joseph deals with his past and how his brothers carry it around. Joseph knew that the only thing that would keep him chained to his past would be to keep dragging his past around in the present. And Joseph could get on with life because he put his past in the hands of God. This is why he can do what he does in verse 21. Look what he says. He says to them, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. He isn't just giving lip service to this forgiveness. He backs it up with action. He repaid evil with good. And then it says he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Who does that? Joseph. An illustration of a heart that is free. Not one whose heart is bound up. 
Now conversely, the brothers carried around this chain of guilt that tormented them for years and lived in fear of what is going to happen to them. And for 17 years, from when Joseph said, hey, this is who I am, all is forgiven, 17 years, they did not believe they were really let off the hook for what they did. For 17 years, they were chained to their past. For 17 years, they lived as though the intended harm could not be used by God. 17 years. I have met people like that. I remember this dear saint, not, not, not in this church, another church. I remember a dear saint, a real woman of faith, a real servant of God, who was very involved in the ministry of the church. Yet over wrong done to her and her child, her entire world changed. Instead of vibrancy that she once had and service to the Lord, she wilted away in bitterness. To this day, nearly 20 years later, as far as I know, she only has you meant, but has never been able to get to the but God. And like Joseph, Donna and I, and many others, have shed many, many tears around that situation, around that woman. In her home. You meant, but God. You intended to harm me, but God. As Lionel Harris wrote and sang many years ago, I know your heart is breaking, the pain just comes in waves. Everywhere you look, it seems like there's no peace. You try not to give up, but the tears will not relent. Any minute now, you might accept defeat. And you stand there with impossible, the next word on your lips. Your vision has been blinded and nothing makes sense. But God. But God sees some way when miracles are well beyond our view. His love saves the day when fear would tell us there is just no use. You can look the whole world over for the meaning of it all, for the purpose that mankind has always sought, but in the end you'll discover there is no other answer but God. In the end you'll discover there's no other answer but God. Church, what is your, you meant by God? What is the hurt you're forced to work through right now? Perhaps it was unintentional, so that makes it a little easier, but it still hurts. But when the wrong seemed intentional, when someone meant to do you wrong, when the intent was evil, when someone acted so selfishly, causing a deep wound in your heart, that's another matter completely. Where do we go with that hurt? You meant, but God. But pastor, it has ruined years of my life. You meant, but God. But, but, but pastor, you don't understand. It has hurt me so deeply. You meant, but God. But, but you don't know. You meant, but God. What is your but God? What is my but God? Trust me, I had to wrestle with this just last week. 
Can you trust him right now with what is the worst point of your life and say, but God. I mean, is my God, is our God big enough to take all the bad things of your past and weave them together with all the things in your life and make something beautiful out of it? Is he big enough to do that? If he isn't, you should have stayed in bed this morning and not come to church. There's plenty of other things to do. Seriously. Will we trust in the master's design for our life? To what degree do I, do we, do you believe that God uses bad events to bring about good results? Church, this is what it comes down to right here. Only by embracing the truth that God is bigger than our hurt can we move on past it. And if your joy in life and your freedom is riding on people getting it together and being trustworthy and changing and coming to you and make it all right, then you're going to be miserable and chained to your past. But if your hope and your joy and your fulfillment and your sanity is on the fact that no matter what evil people do, God is bigger, you can let go of the chain. I mean, how can a person who's been so mistreated forgive? You meant by God. May God free your bound up heart today. The remarkable story about Gladys Aylwood, I encourage you to read about Gladys Aylwood. I think she was a missionary. I know she was a missionary in China, I think in the 40s. But tells of a custom in many parts of China in that day to wrap the feet of infant girls. The Chinese people at that time considered tiny feet to be beautiful and it was thought that a Chinese woman would never find a husband if she had big feet. Small feet, short steps were considered a mark of feminine physical attractiveness in the Chinese culture in that day. And so it was customary to keep the feet of young girls tightly wrapped The result would be, as you would imagine, the front of each foot would fold over and grow back under the rest of the foot. Bound up feet would cause deformity. It caused discomfort. It would cause a, a woman to move in hobbled footsteps. It was Gladys Aylward's job, the missionary's job, to unwrap bound up feet. Literally, that was her job. To unwrap bound up feet. Worse than bound up feet our hearts bound up because of unforgiveness. I am concerned that there are some in the evangelical community, perhaps likely say even in our church, that whose hearts are bound because they're stuck on the first part of the phrase, you intended to harm me and have yet to embrace but God's. Listen, don't live your life in hobbled footsteps. Let God free up your bound up heart. And when he does, think of the ministry you can have in unwrapping bound up hearts around you. Because there are many. Just think about that. Let's pray. God, thank you. I, I, I don't even want to end our study in Joseph, but... but uh, Um, Maybe we'll go back through it again and read it for ourselves. But God, just pray that you've impacted us in some way through this study. There are many principles here and there's many things to take away. And I pray, God, in all of it, 
that I can embrace, I can, I can believe, I can live as though I believe in the sovereignty of God. You can take anything and use it. Anything. I don't always live that way. Forgive me for that. But show us what this means to our lives in a personal way to live with the but God in our lives. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.